care for all Rose can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us I'm Kate Willett I'm Julia Claire How are you doing Julia? Oh my god, you had a hell of a week actually since had the last time since the last time we talked. You're tweeting about it a little bit, but there was a uh, a a cat debacle. There was yeah. a cat debacle. I you know, I had this I had an issue with the rescue I was working with. This well, I really only I had an issue with the one guy I was working with. He like I've been doing I've I've had this cat since the end of may and i love her and i was told that i was doing foster to adopt but then at the last minute my uh you know there's like this big dramatic situation where my contact at the rescue wanted to give her to another family and i was like i was supposed to adopt her (laughs) what is going on and then he basically revealed that he uh you know, intentionally misled me so that I would foster her because they didn't, the rescue didn't have enough fosters. But I sent this long ass email to him and I CC'd another, just like one other person at the rescue. And that was enough to get the decision uh, changed, luckily. And with help from, from Kate, because Kate had used the same rescue. Um, and she wrote she wrote a a letter of of recommendation on my behalf, which I really uh, appreciate so much. So now I have my little my little cat, and uh, she is uh, asleep right next to me. So it was just it was like wild because I mean, it's like you can't you just have a pet and then they just come be like okay i'm taking your pet away i mean okay if that happened with my kittens i would be honestly thrilled because they are (laughs) really bad and they're destroying my life in my apartment but i can imagine for people whose pets are less bad than mine that that's very upsetting i don't know cat people are like the people that devote their whole lives to cats i i just I don't want to make any stereotypes here, but sometimes it's because they're not as uh, comfortable dealing with humans. <laughs> yeah. And like, honestly, the guy, I mean, like the guy who I worked with, who lied to me about all these different things, I like, don't even, I don't know. I have, I do have some like sympathy for him because I know that he, he believes that he was doing what's best for the cat. He's like convinced that my cat needs to be with other cats so he wanted to put her in a home with another cat. But, you know, she's been through a lot. She was a teen mom. A I teen she, mom? Oh, my I God. Think, I think she just wants to be alone. Yeah, she had kittens at, like, seven months old. That's Jesus. When, when they when they found her. Babies she, having babies. Babies having babies. She's <laughs> <Yeah>. tired. Just <laughs> let her be. Um, but, yeah, everyone else at the rescue was totally, was so kind and apologetic and rectified the situation as soon as they became aware of it and i really appreciate uh i appreciate that so much and i think that everyone should uh if you if you have the the capacity the ability should rescue rescue an animal uh and 
Yeah, but she's or at uh, least a man. No, I'm or, just kidding. I mean, no, absolutely. I mean, I've you're been, like I do not co-sign that. Well, you know, I th- that part of my life is behind me. I won't. I I've given up rescuing uh, men. Also, I mean, what is what even is a romantic relationship anymore? I've no, been in I was my thinking apartment. about that. I, w- I was giving this a lot of thought, right? Because I. Uh, you know, I mean, like, for a while, uh, being being a slut, you know, was so. I, we okay, we've it's several thousand years of slut shaming, but there was like I don't know, three, four, five years where it felt like being a slut had a certain cachet, you know, at least in certain circles. And now, I, I feel that uh, that all the progress has been erased. People see someone sleeping around and they think that is a coronavirus super spreader you know know? and it's it's unfortunate because sluts are some of the best among us as we all know um and i i agree with you and i think that um maybe last year was the apex of like sluts finally getting their due like it was hot girl summer um who who among us could forget and now look at you know it's summer it's summer once again none of us can can go about our days having sex as we would like to do um yeah it's it's a very strange time i'm still i'm i have two new roommates moving in on august 1st but i am gonna be i'm still gonna be alone in this apartment for another month so it'll be two full months of being alone and i wish I were able to enjoy it more. I'm just like too, I don't know. I like being around people. I'm, I'm so much, this, this whole thing has just taught me that I'm way more of an extrovert than I ever thought. And it's been a hard, it's been a hard time. I miss people. No, I understand. I've had a, a, I, I hate the isolation and I have been, you know, I had two new roommates just move in, which is, they're both really nice it's weird to move in with someone that you've never met in real life before. Like yeah. you're like, just, just, just zoom apartment tour or something mm-hmm. like that. Probably not as weird as moving into an apartment that you've never seen. Yep. Just like, like, Hey, I'm moving all my stuff to this place I've never seen before. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I wasn't ever completely by myself, I think, except for a little bit here and there because Jake was staying here during some of the quarantine, but it was it was weird because, you know, even even just one person, it's like I can't you can't like do all of your conversing with like one human, especially like one pretty introverted human who was like, yeah, he's like, this is finally my opportunity to not talk to people. You know? Wow. I yeah. I mean, that's a, I mean, at a time like this, that's a superpower. So. I know. I know. This is, but even the people that I know that are introverts, I think they liked it at first, but then they're even like, well, I didn't mean no one ever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, yeah, I, uh, I think I'm going to. go to my parents house for my for my mom's birthday Uh, oh that's nice so i'm i'm pretty excited about that but yeah it's just been a lot of talking to my parents and my i still like 
it's just, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to zoom anymore. I just want to be in front of people. I want to have a conversation where I don't have to look at myself. Wouldn't that be grand? <laughs> it just, oh man. Anyways, this is, we've gone off the deep end here. Um, let's talk about some of the, the updates of the week. Unfortunately, uh, an update from last week uh, regarding the Senate race, the Senate primary in Kentucky, the Democratic primary, uh, Amy McGrath has officially been declared the winner of that race. Um, As we mentioned last week, there was a whole host of bullshit uh, that kind of surfaced around that election one of which being, I mean, the main, the main feature of which being that they're just compared to the population, there were just hardly any polling sites, especially in predominantly, uh, progressive and black neighborhoods and districts. Um, the, as we said last week, the, uh, Louisville, which has a population of 600,000 had one polling place. Um, not a great time for democracy, but yeah, Amy McGrath, like, and, and when the, when they started counting the mail-in ballots, it looked like Charles Booker was ahead in some areas. And then once it was all finished, um, Amy McGrath was declared the winner. So, uh, good fucking luck against Mitch McConnell. No, I mean, she's obviously going to lose to Mitch McConnell. This is is 100% liberal delusion that she's Mm. like the one to face Mitch McConnell. I mean, first of all, anyone would have a really hard time beating Mitch McConnell just because he has like such a powerful position. And, you know, I mean, like the same thing, like Shahid Buttar is going to have, you know, an incredibly hard time beating Nancy Pelosi as well. You know, like when someone is has that prominent of a role, like it's can be, you know, it can just be a little harder. But I mean, it really seems like no one likes Amy McGrath except for other people, people from other states who can't vote for Amy McGrath. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's I mean, yeah. So that's uh, that's not a fun update that's not something that obviously that that we wanted we wanted to report i was so Um, optimistic i mean charles burger is so cool and he was really getting a lot of traction uh at the end once people kind of realized that amy mcgrath's candidacy was uh you know kind of hopeless and she started collapsing and going way down it became really close at the end so i don't know and i also you know, the, the thing that does give me hope is, and even though it was like in a lot of cases, it was too little to too late, but a lot of like high profile mainstream Democrats also endorsed Charles Booker. Um, and I don't know, I think that more and more, you know, and we've seen this with a lot of the, the wins that we talked about last week is that more and more people are seeing that like the old guard is dying and the way forward is like grassroots organizing. When you say that people are seeing, do you mean like the democratic establishment? Cause I don't know. 
I don't know if I necessarily share that view, but I, I definitely think that like people, no, you know, voters I, are seeing that. I don't think, I don't think necessarily, no, like certainly your Chuck Schumer's and your Nancy Pelosi's are not seeing that because they're like Chuck Schumer hand selected Amy McGrath to run for Senate. Um, but I do because th- she was a loser. <laughs> Because she's a loser, and yeah. <laughs> the Democratic Party is addicted to recycling losers. Um, you know, I gotta say, I had a long time in my life that uh, I loved losers as well, so I get it. Yeah. Democratic Party. I get it. Um, who among us? And, yeah, no, I, I don't think, not necessarily the Democratic establishment, but certainly... I think more and more mainstream Democrats, including, like, elected officials, are seeing, like, you know, and you've seen that with even, again, more and more mainstream Democrats, like, refusing to take PAC money and, like, promoting the fact that their campaigns are, like, grassroots-led. I just think that, like, the political strategy... The people who are involved in political strategy are seeing that that's where the energy is and that's where the future is. But um, no, I certainly I don't have any like when I say that the old guard is dying, I I do think that this is like the death of Chuck Schumer. This is the last breath of Chuck Schumer. I mean, let's definitely hope so. Uh, There was another race in Colorado this week uh, between... Uh, for the Colorado Senate seat between, you know, Hickenlooper and this uh, a progressive challenger named Romanoff. And, you know, even like Elizabeth Warren endorsed Hickenlooper, who was like big business, pro-fracking. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think well, that there's she, like... Yeah, I mean, she also endorsed... Um, didn't she... She endorsed Jerry Nadler as well. Yeah, exactly. So it's like... I don't know. I just... I mean, first of all, I don't I don't necessarily uh, expect Elizabeth Warren to like land on, you know, the left side of things. But I just mean, I think that there's like there are a lot of like promising races around the country right now. And I think it's good to take satisfaction, uh, you know, in in the, the victories that that do occur electorally. But it's also like I I think that, you know, some of the most exciting progress that has, you know, been made over the past couple months has, has been way outside the realm of electoral politics. And sure, sure. But also I think in regards to electoral politics, like the way that the gears of, uh, American government grind, I think like if any body is going to be the slowest to change, it will be the Senate. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Um, the lesson here, kids is definitely, you know, vote for, vote for the leftist challenger to the incumbent in your district, but also don't be mad that someone burned a target, you know, (laughs) change happens that way as well. Yeah. The CEO of target is not mad. So get, out of here <laughs> yeah i don't know um we, we were going to talk about oh reopening yeah reopening so yeah. which i it's a word that i fucking hate by the way because it's just well it, it, I also, it does 
There's it's really so much. There are a number of terms and phrases in the public lexicon now related to coronavirus that I wish were different. One of them, from the beginning, I have not liked the term social distancing. One, because it sounds more elective than like physical distancing, which is what I think it should be. Uh, and also, it makes people think that they can't, like, I, I, I just think that it's bad for people to think that they can't quote unquote socialize at all. I'm obviously not talking about in person, but like, I think it should be called physical distancing and not social distancing. Also. Yeah. Reopening is, but you know, is not great either. But all that being said, basically all the States that have been pursuing reopening uh, in a more aggressive fashion a lot of the states in the South and the Southwest have been seeing huge spikes in coronavirus cases and um, Florida and Texas in particular um, have seen really major spikes. But, you know, some people think that it's more, quote unquote, OK this time because uh, it, even th with the increase in cases, there haven't been as many deaths, which is um, silly to think that way because deaths always lag. And also it's because the people getting infected are younger and healthier people. Yeah, they've, been, they've, they've had a lot of like coronavirus clusters, like uh, from yeah. people going to restaurants. Um, it seems like indoor dining and bars is like a really big culprit. And I think... Um, as de Blasio or Cuomo said that they were going to, because New York City and New York State, but particularly New York City, is quite behind the rest of the country in terms of reopening, and so they're going to like reassess the plans to um, begin indoor dining again because there's been such a strong correlation between indoor dining and a resurgence of uh, COVID cases. Um, uh, all of that being said, just fucking wear a mask and people are being so like, ooh, uh, I've seen too many videos of white ladies fucking freaking out about having to wear a mask. I think it, the Trader Joe's woman was actually a woman of color. I think, oh, I think it really? hasn't been. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But there, it is definitely by and large, uh, white people that are freaking out about the mask situation. I, oh God, we, you know, white people can we get any worse PR uh, over the last few years? Come on. Look, here's the thing that I was thinking about this week. There is a time to go Karen. There is a time to go full Karen. Like, yes. if, you, if you like, you know, you need to like save your cat that you're trying to adopt or something yeah. like that. Or, or, you know, you could apply that Karen energy to, you know, the, to to your activism you know yeah uh, you know i use... would say i would say you should apply that energy to your activism yes yeah i mean you can call the manager but you have to realize that the manager is uh like like justice you know like yeah. you, you have to be you have to be calling for good things uh that are not hurting people and then you you can be as fierce as you want right but you can't do that about uh wearing like masks and shit that's just a really basic like this is it's just uh, a really basic thing to do to protect other people also it's you know anyone like I, i've also seen videos of people who like have chronic breathing problems say that they are like literally test their 
oxygen. Yeah, the um, pulse oximeter thing. Yeah, yeah, their oxygen levels went, and they, you know, people are saying, like, if if I can wear a mask and breathe fine, so can you. You have no excuse. And it's just, it's such a, it's a, it's just so embarrassing at this point how far behind America is just because of the disease of, like, American exceptionalism and, like, rugged individualism. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, and to that point, uh, the EU announced today that we'll not be letting Americans visit. <laughs> so. That's so funny. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't know. It's not, it is It is funny, but I, I also do feel bad for people who won't be able to see their families for a long time. And Yeah. You know, I'm also... Uh, holding a candle for the sluts, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a lifestyle that has been utterly destroyed by the virus. And and to to all of our listeners who are sluts, we see you, we hear you, we love you, we are thinking about you, we're praying for you every day. Yeah, we see you, we hear you. We're we're not going to do anything about it. <laughs> we're that's, taking a page our, from the Democratic Party. Yeah, no, that is our official Bill de Blasio response. We see you, we hear you, we are doing nothing it's, to change your circumstances. Yeah, Julie and I have, uh, we, we have a, we're having a little uh, ceremony to show respect for the sluts where uh, we are wearing a, a performative uh, G-string. and Absolutely. Yeah. Hearts and minds. Just yes. really, um, wow, we're... Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's hard, it's hard out here for sluts. It's hard out here for those of us who just want to be semi-regularly sexually active. Or have some content for the podcast that isn't yeah. an update on the cats, right? You I know. know. They're, uh, yeah. they're like one of some of our main friends now. <laughs> it is not, it's not lost on Kate nor I that mm, we've been talking about our cats disproportionately for the last few months. Yeah, um, I mean... <laughs> They're some of the main friends we see in real life. So, anyways, um, I mean, the things things out there are dire, and uh, but uh, y- you know, I think I just have to have to cling to the to the little good things in in life. Uh, you know, like my memories of being a slut. Yeah. Those are good. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, okay, so we had a great interview this week with um, my friend Garrett Ruscher, who is a uh, harm reduction counselor. He talks to us about drugs. Which is a c- kind of fun that you could still potentially have in a physically distanced way or outside with a mask. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, guess what? We're cool as hell. I am gonna do drugs someday. That sounds really cool, Julia, yeah. Thank you. That was Um, the vibe I got off that. That was the vibe, is that I'm gonna be extremely cool, and I'm gonna do drugs maybe in 2023. Who's to say? Um... But yeah, no, this was such a fun, great, super informative interview. I learned so much from Garrett. Uh, He's the coolest. Um... And I always love hearing his perspective about harm reduction and about uh, legalization of of all the drugs, um, which is not a perspective you hear every day. So I think you'll really like this uh, as much as we did. And yeah, 
Kate, have a great week. You too. Subscribe to our Patreon if you can. If you can. I mean, we we know it's hard, but we... Oh, we actually... Yeah, we've had some, some great episodes recently. Uh, we had a, a great one last week with, uh, with Thea Matthews, who's a poet in San Francisco. And... An I activist poet. Activist poet. Uh, we talked about transformative justice. We're just... We're still committed to making good content for you. We are committed to posting... It's all we can do. It's all we can do. Yeah. Um, but have a great week. Enjoy this interview with Garrett. Stay safe. Um, again, uh, sluts for life. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys today. I'm very excited. Uh, you know, Kate and I have been interviewing a lot of candidates lately, but... W- now that uh, that a lot of our elections are kind of out of the way, we wanted to go back to uh, go back to our roots and uh, drugs. We talk a lot about drugs on this uh, show. Me more more as an aspiring drug user than anything else. Um, so today, I you know i I have a friend who I've wanted to have on the show for for a long time. And um, he is a harm reduction counselor here in New York City. Uh, Garrett Ruscher, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome to Reply so, uh, Guys. So happy to be on with y'all. I'm, I'm so excited. We've been, uh, Kate and I have been talking about having this conversation with you for a while. Um, as Actually, you, you also know that I'm an, an aspiring drug <laughs> user. I've, uh, you are, I've yes, talked to you about that. You are. And uh, it was addition with you, I believe, talking with you was sort of aspiring to, and then when I listened to four episodes and Kate mentioned psychedelics 16 times, I was like, okay, well, eventually <laughs> something has to happen. Well, you know, Absolutely. yeah, I, I last <laughs> summer I was, oh, hold on, my, my peaking for a second. Um, yeah. Last summer I was going through a particularly psychedelic time. I think I did psychedelics like, I don't know, six times last summer or something. Um, yeah. I maybe over more like a five month period, but you know, it's been a while at this point, but I was just like really wanting to sort of dive all the way in last year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> totally. Although I will say right now, I mean, outside of protesting, like, you know, it would be safer and less harmful if all of us stopped going to bars and instead met each other in some sort of shared consciousness through psychedelics. So, yeah, exactly. That's wow. the solution. Like, physically distanced. Uh, absolutely. Consciously sharing. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, Garrett, can you explain to those of us who who wouldn't otherwise know what exactly a harm reduction counselor is? What is the kind of ruling ethos and value system of of harm reduction? If if you can, yeah, put it into um, a summation like that. Yeah. So it's. You know, you can ask like a lot of people and, and you're going to get a, a lot of various answers. Um, but I think something important to sort of start off with is that like it's sort of become like harm reduction has become sort of like a buzzword recently. Um, and a lot of people have begun using it. But really at its core, right, it, it was started for and meant for people who use drugs and uh, who engage with sex work. Um, and so mm. harm reduction, the basics of it, right, is that it's sort of a set of policies, principles, practices um, that aim to reduce negative consequences associated with drug use um, and or sex work. Uh, and it's sort of, you know, what makes us different, right, is it really does this through 
what a lot of people sort of call radical acceptance or radical compassion um, and social justice and, you know, making sure that you respect people who do use drugs and who engage in sex work um, and meeting them where they're at. Right. So there's that difference between that and say, you know, this old old trope of shaming and stigmatizing until people change in a way that they don't even want to. Yeah, shaming and stigmatizing or also just pretending that there's some reality in which, like, nobody's going to use drugs ever. Like, I remember in D.A.R.E. as a child, I had to sign a pledge that I would never do any drugs my entire and life and it's now, like, it worked right yeah, i mean here, exactly. here you are sitting in front of me a living legend of uh, absolutely no drug use and which yeah. obviously includes alcohol and caffeine because definitely those are definitely drugs uh so right kudos yeah. to you wow but i mean it's just like you know there was like other things that they said too like oh you know marijuana is the the gateway drug <laughs> gateway yeah, drug and yeah. uh, oh god yeah yeah uh the 90s wow you know um but uh you yeah, know yeah, they d- have the egg scramble as well the this oh, is your yeah, brain on drugs exactly. right oh, yeah. it's a classic this is your brain on drugs yeah yeah, yeah it, but uh, just like totally pretending yeah i mean it's right and it actually is like we can see how damaging just like non-productive like unhonest education is right because you know people sort of gone over this and been like you know look like you say this is what happens with marijuana you try cannabis as any middle school or high school or college student or beyond does, right? You experiment and then you learn that that absolutely is not the case. Um, and then you're like, okay, well, if they're lying about that, then who knows what else, you know, is going on, right? And so all of a sudden you could actually be, you know, using drugs in a way that is a bit more harmful only because you're not given the proper education on what you're using, how you're using and what to expect, right? Including the pleasurable effects of drugs, um, which is a really important part of it pleasurable it's like go sex. ahead yeah 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 that's it sounds like abstinence only sex education versus comprehensive sex education <laughs> right. that includes like truly prophylactic truly wild yeah. how uh actual education usually beats out fake education every time i, I don't know why that is but there just seems to be that's some crazy. weird yeah it's a weird coincidence i don't know Inter- interesting correlation <laughs> no causation right. i'm glad um, we're all agreeing correlation no causation yes yes <laughs> wow okay so you're i mean and this this is not even just the the kind of more commonly used drugs i guess this is like really for all drugs yeah um So this is like the idea, right, is that sort of all drugs, no matter what you're using, can be at least improved in safety, right? Like, obviously, there's going to be some Mm -hmm. risk just as you drive a car. There's always going to be risk, right? But we do certain things to there are certain steps we can take to help people, um, you know, use and consume a drug safely. Um, And it's just the idea. And this sort of rolls into I know we're going to talk about this in a bit, right, of like decriminalization, legalization, right, and how you know, it's really sort of been seen that prohibition itself is what makes drugs actually so dangerous, right? It's like if we were to take mm. the actual steps of, you know, education and understanding drug use, um, there wouldn't be nearly as ne- many negative consequences. I mm. do want to, I have one really specific question as I kind of try to unpack my own education about drugs. They mm-hmm. kept telling us this story about this guy who did PCP and then threw a car. Is that possible? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are, like, there's some, like, pretty wild, I mean, I'm sure we all uh, have heard of them, right? Like, j- 
just like very weird specific stories, right? Like, yes, the man who does PCP and then throws a car is I'm sure best friends with the man who did a bunch of bath salts and then ate someone's face. Right. I mean, it's like, they're all, I don't even, you know, it's just these weird, I mean, but this is, it works, right? I mean, like this comes from, you know, propaganda dating back to the beginning of even before the war on drugs, right? Like prohibition is all about tying these fears and this fear mongering and this ridiculousness to, and taking that right. And then tying it to groups of people um, usually historically like, right, like immigrants or uh, black and brown communities, right? And then using that to be like, oh, well, look, we can't say it's illegal to be black, but um, using this drug means that people are going to be doing crimes and being violent. So we can now sort of take that and now arrest people for using the drug, even though they're not doing anything, right? Or just like yeah, that's- saying that they are, even though they're not. That's, well, that was exactly the calculus of the the war on drugs disproportionately, as we all know, went after black and brown communities and the distinction made between crack and cocaine and like powder cocaine is a perfect example mm-hmm. of that. Um, obviously, like powder cocaine is more expensive. It's the more like pure version. It is. I mean, if you want, one- if you want to be specific, like it is literally crack is when you mix baking soda, water and cocaine and cook it like that's it. Oh, see, I didn't even yeah, know that. Like, there's no like, like there's there's almost no actual difference, and and the base and like usual stereotypically, you would consume you know crack cocaine by smoking and and powder cocaine by snorting, although that can vary. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, there's no difference, right? Like, right, at, like at all. Um, and yet, as you said, yeah, we have this huge disproportionate there's a sentencing. Huge di- you know, y- yeah, there's a disparity in like the sentencing and the convictions and. Yeah. Yeah, how many fucking Wall Street bros oh never went yeah. to never went to jail for oh my God. snorting and as mount, we've snorting mountains of cocaine? Yeah, as we have uh, discussed on the show too, uh, resistance hero Joe Biden uh, is <laughs> largely responsible for the crack and cocaine oh sentence God. disparity. Absolutely. Well, Joe Biden is also. I mean, like, God, these are the funny thing. I was like, I was like, just screaming about Joe Biden for years before he started running for president, right? Because, like, right, of course, the crime bill, and then you also have. You know, um, there's a big movement to amend, amend, sorry, amend, uh, amend the Rave Act, right? Which is, you know, he was also a champion of and causes huge problems um, in the Rave community about people not getting access to harm reduction services such as drug testing or water, right? And sort of like because of the laws that are built, right? Like we can't even provide services to people when we acknowledge that they're using drugs, right? Like venues can't be like, or places, right? Can't be like, we're going to give you these, you know, like if a, if a bar in Brooklyn, right, registered like was like, oh well, people are obviously doing cocaine in the bathroom because that's what people use the bathroom in New York bars for, right? Like they could provide straws or you know sterile materials, um, but acknowledging that drug use is happening leaves you open to being shut down, right, or getting in trouble right. with law enforcement. So people have to avoid that, which means that more people get in danger because they're using drugs unsafely. What is the Rave Act? Oh boy, the Rave Act, like you'll, it's it's essentially this um, a response that uh, to right, like sort of people using going to raves, right, like dance parties and sort of beginning the underground, um, sort of like all these drug use for dancing and partying, right. Uh, and my understanding is that the Rave Act was sort of it's it's very much sort of like the what we just talked about, where it limited what clubs could do. 
um, to allow people safe access to things, right? So, mm-hmm. but what this did, right, is that it made people, um, like there's a, I, I can't remember the specifics, but I think she was using, um, there's a woman who who passed and her mother started this Amend the Rayback movement because her daughter had sort of used a club drug that was sold to her as MDMA. Um, but because clubs aren't allowed to put drug testing any, anywhere, right? Like she took this drug that, was very unsafe, right? And had this different effect than she expected. Um, and she, and she, and she passed because of it. Right. And so this, and this mother has done this amazing work of sort of like, you know, being able to expand her understanding of beyond of like this drug did this to my daughter. Right. And this policy failed my daughter. Right. Which is really what we want and, and harm reduction really want to focus on. One thing that seems like it's been a really big issue in the past few years is, uh, coke or molly that has been mixed with fentanyl um i have uh known a couple people who peripherally who actually died from that and i I was wondering like is that is that happening a lot um what can people do to make sure that uh it doesn't happen to them yeah um so unfortunately it's happening a lot right and and i and i want to um take a quick moment right just to recognize that like when it happens, we often demonize the people who are distributing drugs or drug dealers, quote unquote, or whatever, right? Um, when that's not really what's happening, right? Like no one's going to purposefully poison their clients. Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, what we have, right, is like, because fentanyl is so powerful, like say, you know, for example, you're packaging um, cocaine on one table, right? Or like you're packaging, uh, you know, an opioid, including fentanyl on one table, right? And you're not in like sterile environments, you know, you're packaging cocaine next to it or on that same table, you're going to get some mixed in. Right. Um, so one, one thing you can do, there are a couple things you can do. Um, one is that there are fentanyl test strips, right? So any drug you're using, if it's the powder or anything like that, um, you can get those actually in New York, I believe you can get them at New York health. Um, but you can really search for them online. Uh, and they're very easy to use. You can carry them around with you, test your drugs. Um, there's also more, and then you can also just test your drugs in general through drug testing, right? So there is an organization called Dance Safe, right? Which is all about raves and sort of using drugs safely in them. Um, and they, you can go on their store and uh, in a couple of places as well, but they will sell you kits that you can then test small parts of your drugs to make sure that you know exactly what you're consuming. Garrett, all this makes me want to do is go to a rave with you after <laughs> after COVID is over. Listen, post COVID world, I promise the next uh, the next podcast we do will be in a club at a rave for sure. Yes, live live from what's that? What's that club that everyone goes to? <laughs> you know, the popular club. The uh... no, what's the what's the place? What is the the like? dance club where everyone fucks i can't remember in new york it's in brooklyn why am i blanking on it we're gonna have to cut this yeah whole thing i mean well, I... clearly we're all cool enough to know about this place and know what it is so there's <laughs> I was just first pretending. we don't need to say it I we, was, don't, we don't need i don't have never heard of it why have i bl- why have i blanked on it oh my gosh well obviously because i've never been Listen, there so no, i no, no. for the record we've all been there we've all had a great time uh this is just sort of a <laughs> skit for your for your listeners at home this is a bit yes, this, this is, a, is bit. a really elaborate bit <laughs> very um, very deep bit <laughs> yeah okay so and and i know i've seen you i you know i follow you on twitter and you are tweeting very often about different 
um, things in the the harm reduction world. Mm -hmm. And I've seen you talk about like needle exchange and things like that. Can you talk a little bit more about that and explain? Yeah. Like what you would think would be like best practices for, for cities uh, to enact, I guess. Sure. I mean like needle exchanges, right. Have, um, have really been shown to really benefit, you know, not only people who use drugs, right. But the community itself, right. I mean, it low, you know, needle exchanges for, for those who don't know, right. Are essentially a program in which you can exchange your used needles for sterile ones. Right. Um, so this, what this does is it keeps, you know, it lowers rates of, uh, HIV infection, hepatitis C infection. Um, it, uh, makes sure that people stay, um, don't get maybe abscesses or anything on their skin, right. Cause you're getting uh, new sort of sharp needles. Um, and it also makes sure that people, you know, don't, you know, they don't may not throw a needle away, right? Because they can bring it and exchange it. And so that way it sort of keeps, you know, you know, paraphernalia out the street. Um, so it's really beneficial in a lot of ways. Um, and so New York has a number of those, which are really fantastic. Uh, we can always expand that. Um, and other cities should as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's very, it's one of those things, right? And, and sort of this is the same problem we get into about, uh, you know, supervised injection facilities, right? Which are places like, so, you know, Vancouver, right? Opened um, a CIF, a supervised injection facility, um, you know, back in a couple of years back, I forget exactly what year, but since then, right? It's has seen over, it's seen millions of injections, right? And when you're there, right, you, you can inject, you know, legally. So there are, there are nurses, counselors, medical staff, you know, all these people to help you, right? And so there've been zero deaths, right? Which is amazing. Um, and so, but you see there's sort of this problem, right? Is that like people believe that it's sort of like you see the the numbers and the data and you're like, okay, this could not, literally couldn't be any better. Like this is a very, a slam dunk, very obvious. Um, and then sort of people all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, we believe in it, but not in our neighborhood, right? Well, we want it, but mm. you know, we don't want those, you know, they won't say it, right? But like this, this stereotypical drug user, right? Which is, you know, total bullshit, but something that people have, you know, prohibitionists and law enforcement done a really good job of convincing us, you know, is, is who people are, right? Or who people you drug, who you drugs are. Um, and so like, there's this like sort of, there's this tension, right? There's this conflict of, this is really good, right? Yet we don't want it near us, you know. It's and it's it's been this huge problem um, that I that I really hope that we get to sort of you know solve pretty soon. One thing I'm thinking about as you're talking is uh, the way that our attitude towards drugs uh, is used as an excuse for not doing anything about other big problems like homelessness. Like oh, yeah. you know, one of the things that you know, if you go to uh, if you're talking to anybody who is any kind of like moderate or conservative um, about what should be done about homelessness and, you know, the, the kind of like immediate response is, well, you know, they're like that because they're on drugs, you know, like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. OK, I mean, like it, somebody it, doesn't deserve housing because they take drugs or they have well, a problem yeah. with addiction. I mean, what's wild, too, right, is like, I mean, we could sometime we got to just chat on the podcast because we really could talk about this for literally days. But, yeah, like the, there's this flip, like it's so backwards, right? Because it's like, okay, you're experiencing chronic homelessness, right? You're surviving, like you, you're surviving day by day, night by night, like either, fi- either through survival sex, right? Or, okay, so I'll go for that, for instance, right? So I, I used to work in a program um, where as a harm reduction counselor, where, uh, you know, it's for people, uh, men who had sex with men and transgender women who had sex with men who are using crystal meth, right? 
And so what was happening is a lot of these people were, you know, experiencing, um, were living through homelessness, right? And they were using survival sex, right, to get to a warm place to sleep at night. Uh, in order to do that, they had to use crystal meth in order to stay up, party, right, sort of at least, you know, be able to enjoy themselves a little bit, right, which is really important. Um, and then, you know, see them rejected, right, because, oh, well, because, as you said, you're using drugs, right? Um and it's just this whole backwards thing of like, well, how do you expect someone to stop using drugs if it's to help them get through the night? Or because like, I'll be honest, if I was experiencing chronic homelessness, I would do whatever the fuck I could to make myself comfortable. Like, are you kidding me? Like, absolutely. Um, and so, and to flip that, right, places where we've seen housing first models, we've seen a immediate reduction in substance use, right? Like housing actually solves a lot of the problem that they you know or harmful drug use or chronic drug use that people are using because they don't need to use anymore because it's in response to their homelessness not because that there's some bad or evil person right yeah a lot of times these you know um prohibitionist people yes, those, those uh, prohibitionist people mm. those prohibitionist <laughs> people and and you know <sighs> A lot of times when they when they speak about that in terms of homelessness and drug use or any other societal ill and drug use, it's it's addressing the symptom, but not the disease, which is a complete lack of social safety net in this in this country. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of other countries that have a more robust social safety net and more kind of like progressive holistic view of taking care of citizens you know drug use is happens all but but they certainly don't have the um you know what is referred to like as an epidemic in this in this country of Mm. a lot of times again it's like it's a self-medicating situation yeah uh i mean it's and also a, a lot of these drugs that are being abused first of all i mean everyone knows that like the whole opioid crisis was begun because doctors were over prescribing legal drugs, Mm -hmm. like legal pharmaceutical drugs. Um, Yeah. And I mean, isn't fentanyl a, isn't that like a legal painkiller? Yeah, I mean, it's used in hospitals all the time. I mean, it's not like it's, right. I mean, there's a difference between, you know, what you would call street fentanyl, right. And, and fentanyl in hospitals, but yeah, it's like, it's 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 a painkiller right i mean it's it's among the same class mm-hmm. of drugs um yeah i mean it's that's the thing right is that like there's sort of because i've i'm gonna say this like there's sort of this balance right that that sort of has been struck with drug use where it's like okay like we don't want to actually deal with with the real systematic policy issues right so we're going to frame substance use as a moral failing, right? And we can sort of dress mm-hmm. up any way we want to put it now, but at the end of the day, that's how we're still acting, right? Um, even if we say we move beyond that and, you know, you know, people who say, well, it's a, it's a disease, you know, addiction is a disease, um, you know, even that, um, I, I personally don't go by that framework. Uh, I go by what we call like the biopsychosocial framework, um, biopsychosocial model. Uh, but you know, we have, we still have this, we're still stuck, right. And thinking they're, they have a problem with drugs, thus they're a bad person. Not that we have failed them and thus they're using drugs as a coping skill, right. As is a rational response to 
us failing them. Yeah, I, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking a lot about um, AA and, you know, kind of the other, you know, recovery programs that are, you know, similar or, you know, sort of based in 12-step recovery. And um, the kind of central idea of a lot of those programs is that um, it's, you know, full-on addiction um, and you have to explicitly, like, you have to hit bottom. Like, your life has to fall apart. Yeah. You have to experience really, really tragic events. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, the idea is if somebody is not uh, ready to uh, be completely abstinent from all drugs and alcohol, um, then, you know, they just they haven't hit a hard enough bottom. And then they need to go uh, use more drugs until they experiment uh, experience more kind of terrible life altering consequences until they're ready yeah. to, to quit forever. And so, you know, it's just, there's a lot going on there, but the idea that, you know, you must be put through the ringer and that there is no way to, you know, use uh, more safely, uh, more moderately. I don't know. What, what other alternatives are there for people who may be curious? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you make, a very accurate point, right? And and it's something that um, it's a struggle because we've really based our entire system around sort of the NA NAA model, um, even though it doesn't work for that many people, right? And so let me let me start off by saying this: is that for that model that it does work for people, that's great, right? Like if if you if identifying as a quote unquote addict, right, and saying. I have to drop everything. Um, I have, I hit rock bottom. I got to stop. You know, if that works, that's really fantastic. And and whatever works for you is important. Right. Um, but the problem is that actually doesn't work for a lot of people. Um, you know, I think Hmm. like the actual, I looked at before sort of like the, the kind of the keep their numbers private, right. Cause it's anonymous, but someone, you know, the, the numbers that we're sort of seeing the results is, is pretty low, um, for success rates. And, uh, and so the problem is, right, sort of this framing of, of, of sort of moving away from this, this idea that someone, someone is a, is a quote unquote addict, right? It's like, like they're nothing more than the sum of their drug use. Um, mm. And so, you know, there are, so, you know, that's sort of what harm reduction does, right? Is this idea of being like, okay, well, it's actually not an addict. It's a person with a substance use disorder, right? Or it's a person who uses drugs. Um, and it's really important to keep in mind too, right? That a lot of the people that were, defining as this and saying you have to hit rock bottom or you haven't hit rock bottom or, you know, remember this is all like, right. Like also entangled with law enforcement. Right. I mean, like people who are over policed, right. Are also the ones saying that, Oh, you have a problem. You have a problem because you're getting in trouble for using drugs, even though they're just getting in trouble for not being white. Right. I mean, like that's sort of yeah. really what's happening. Um, so as of now, like there are certainly some really amazing organizations. Um, and uh, maybe I can like, send them to one of you or whatever that you can like, I don't know, put on the podcast, something. Um, oh, yeah, we, yeah, we can put it in the show. Yeah. Um, so there's some really fantastic organizations that sort of try that, you know, um, provide services that for people who are either actively using drugs or, you know, maybe wanting to change the relationship with them, but not feeling that they identify with this term, you know, addict or, you know, need to hit rock bottom. Um, Cause you're, it's certainly not the case. I mean, and I, and I wish that people, unfortunate people believe that has to happen um because that sort of shame and stigma and keeping it quiet right is sort of what makes that happen um if people felt mm. that they could come out and be like oh you know hey i'm using this and i want to change my relationship to, trip to it and not feel like they're going to be you know tossed to the wolves um then more people would not have to hit rock bottom in the first place 
Yeah, and I think that so much of the, you know, the quote-unquote opioid crisis that's happening in America, so much of the, the shock of that to a lot of people who, you know, a lot of prohibitionist people is that it's it's happening in the reason why it's gotten so much attention is because it's happening in white communities oh yeah a hundred percent like if we it's seen as a white it was seen as a white problem and thus now we're going to shift drugs from being criminalized to oh well now it's a medical issue or now it's a you know it's a policy issue it's like okay well where the fuck was that you know for years and years and years um for other substances yeah, because, you know, pharma is in a position to um, make a profit off of it. There's no, you know, like there's no real incentive to, to actually, you know, get everyone the help that they may need, you know? Yeah. So I mean, and and then that. Right. And now you see this horrifying trend. Right. In states that are legalizing, say, cannabis. Right. Well, they're legalizing cannabis, but not letting people out who are incarcerated for cannabis related offenses. Right. And then they're only giving, like, you know, they're giving contracts to sell legal cannabis to these big companies, right? So now it's like... Exactly. So, and, and not allowing people with a record to even enter the business, right? So now they're boxing off this market, which you arrested people of color for, black people for, and now you're giving it to wealthy white businesses, right? And they're doing the same thing, yep. scarily enough. Like, you see it happening, like, sort of on the fritz, like, with psychedelics, Um and it's a really, it's a, like, there's no, we're, we're essentially by not, yeah, there's this huge problem of only legalizing it when it's been set up to profit. Um, yeah. White, wealthy individuals. I mean, yeah. yeah. Everyone in, everyone who is incarcerated for a uh, cannabis related offense obviously should be released immediately and their records should be expunged. Oh, I, I mean, like any drug offense, to be quite honest. Like, yeah. it really, it's it's beyond, yeah. Um, cannabis is definitely, the like, the sort of, like, largest first strike to social justice, right? But it really should be um, all drug possession and, and sort of offenses should be released. And, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's a it's a big problem. Yeah, with sorry, with I interrupted. I jumped in. Oh on that. no, no, I, it's, <laughs> no, we're, just, no. we're having a, a free flowing uh, conversation, but you know, <laughs> very, I, I was very chill vibes. Yeah, because I've done a lot of psychedelics. Um, right, that's of why. Course, well, that, that's but, what makes you so chill. Yeah, I mean, statistically, it's you, it, per, right? it permanently. Cha- this is true. Permanently changes your personality <laughs> and makes you more uh, open. People who take uh, personality tests before and after become uh, permanently more uh, open. Whatever that means, I don't know. It means just open-minded or kind of like you know willing to uh, interact with new people or whatever. So I don't know. But I'm. I mean, being open. I can't think of a. Th- a reason like if you were to give me any context i can't imagine how being open would be yeah a bad thing right I like i don't know I, sometimes i'm too open-minded i've i've yeah, i've had a lot of uh yeah i've, I've had a lot I've, i'm a little too open-minded it's it's funny <laughs> okay. i think so, I, have, okay. I have had sex with a lot of circus performers um Apologies I mean, to the like, circus performing community. I, I imagine that must have been some like crazy positions, and at least some yeah. acrobats, hopefully over fire, perhaps with lion cages near you. I mean, it sounds pretty. Mostly, pretty cool. cl- mostly clowns and mimes, but anyway, <laughs> neither here nor there. But you know, I mean, you know, a, a tr- true fans of the podcast will know that I'm uh, aspiring to be yeah. chill. Um, <laughs> very much uh, on my journey to being chill. Mm-hmm. One day will absolutely be open uh, before my deathbed, probably. 
hopefully. Um, I don't know. Uh, being open really uh, scares me. So. <laughs> well, Julia, we <laughs> are going to shroom sometime. But what I was going to say, though, is, shroom. you know, the, I think a, a lot of the reasons I didn't use any drugs or alcohol at all for like seven years. I was like sober, sober. And I... You know, I, I researched psychedelics a lot and found mm-hmm. that, you know, they had been really effective in helping people with, you know, PTSD and other types of trauma and eventually oh, yeah. made the decision that I was going to, you know, try some LSD. Like I had done some shrooms in college, but so I did. And it actually was really helpful to me. Um, mm-hmm. But here was a couple things about that. One. I, that decision meant I could no longer participate in any sort of kind of recovery community anymore because mm. it's like a hundred percent abstinence or nothing, you know? So like the idea that I had in my head is like, Oh, you know, I, now that I did this, I'm just waiting for my life to completely fall apart and, you know, and then die because that's, you know, that's, what's going to happen. That's, that's the path, you know, but actually it was, it was the opposite. It was more like I started to feel less depressed you know and um just i really just saw like a lot of benefit from occasional psychedelic use but obviously there's no like doctor that could be involved in that or whatever i think that there are like underground doctors who are working with patients with you know psychedelics and uh and molly which is like i think sometimes considered a psychedelic other times not but it's um you know like it would be really cool to have the option to actually like be able to talk to somebody or work with someone that, you know, was used to, uh, you know, had experience like treating depression in this way, a professional or something. And I think because of the stigma of drugs, so many avenues for treatment, that's like more beneficial, you know, like, maybe a, f- a couple times of mushrooms you know if it can help you avoid years of prozac or something which i'm on now no stigma to that at all mm-hmm. but you know it's just like uh yeah Same. we love prozac <laughs> but you know just saying like it, it it's closed off so many opportunities i think to to help people like get the help that they need and i know it's been a, a similar conversation around cannabis for a long time we're starting to see it change yeah, I um, I mean, a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, funny, like, ironically enough, um, I forget which one of uh, which one of them, but one of the founders of AA took, uh, I think it was LSD once and wanted it to introduce it to yeah. the program because it was so it, it was, was so yeah, it was powerful LSD. for his for his use of alcohol. Right. It was LSD. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so LSD, I mean, clinically. Right. So like, uh, I don't know if, you know, you or any of your listeners sort of maps. Right. But they've done incredible work um with psychedelic research uh particularly for mental health issues right and so they've done some really amazing trials you know you have ketamine for depression um you know lsd for right anxiety depression uh you know mdma for ptsd um you know things that really have been shown you know to have incredible results um and uh i I think actually in new york there you can do um ketamine uh in new york but it costs a shit ton of money um yeah one of my roommates looked into it and it was like thousands and thousands of dollars and not covered by insurance so much money no yeah so you know it is an option available to rich people you know right i mean right but but also let's think about this right which has been shown like even a you know through a a couple a dose right a one-time dose even of ketamine right can really cause you know a, a, quite a change right in someone's depression right can almost like it's it's really incredible what it can do and what does that do well now this person might no longer need to pay for 
medicate right for you know medication right or pharmaceutical med medication right and so you sort of have to it's so entwined right with who's making money how is this making money um once again that it really has blocked off um us from seeing these incredible steps and benefits that we can have um from from different substances um and and there's also and just one last note on that like it's also this weird thing that particularly the u.s has right with pleasure right like we just think like if you're gaining pleasure from something it's like a bad thing right and so there have been these like people have been trying to extract like you know oh let's make a psychedelic but without the hallucinations or let's make this without it you know like they're trying to like make it so people don't feel good on the drug um because <laughs> it, which is just this weird thing what I, did i did i design that <laughs> <laughs> right there it is maybe, maybe it is maybe it'll work right. out for uh, for some for some particular people on this, uh, on this pleasure, podcast and then julie will do this right julie yeah, will I jump will and she's actually develops quite the problematic relationship to drugs <laughs> when they provide no nourishment or pleasure whatsoever uh <laughs> oh my god sounds sounds absolutely incredible um yeah i i mean it's no secret that uh america is kind of a land of asceticism and Mm -hmm. just uh pleasure denial and um we we, america loves to get its rocks off ironically on denying pleasure like i don't know what it is but uh we yeah we we love it we're nation we you know we're founded by puritans so i think that's it think it's a lot of inherited trauma (laughs) from from puritanical ancestry um where would you like to see drug policy go on the state level on the federal level yes um so i i do think uh this might be controversial uh but i do think that after 50 years of uh essentially utter failure um view that we should end the war on drugs <laughs> um okay i'll have to see some yeah, research I know, but I know. well <laughs> you know like so like you know it's it's I mean, it's so funny, right? I mean, as we talked about before, right? I mean, obviously the real purpose was to criminalize particular, you know, you know, groups of people, right? Particularly like black communities. Um, but, you know, the, like the United Nations, right? The United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime just released like their world drug report, right? And it showed that, you know, drug markets have expanded over the past two decades, right? And like that more people are using drugs, right? So even like the things that we're pretending the war on drugs is for is utterly failing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... So people sort of like go back and forth, like some, it kind of depends on where you are, but you know, there's really, so we know that doesn't, prohibition doesn't work. Okay. So what else? So you have the, right, like Portugal, right? You have all drug decriminalization, like Portugal did back in 2001, um, which essentially that model is, follows the idea. I mean, there are a lot of different models, but two that I sort of think of are all drug decrim, right? Where people, if you're have caught with something, right? Or you're possessing some small amount of drugs, you get a small fine and a quick like drug education and that's sort of it right there's no record or anything like that um the problem with that is is that one it doesn't really do anything about the supply side right people can still be given drugs they don't are people there's still stigma to that right they still have to hide it somewhat right Mm -hmm. um and people you know as we've seen with cannabis laws right when you decriminalize something the people who are still getting the fines right are disproportionately going to be black and brown individuals right like there's still that problem um so I personally believe that we need to legalize all drugs. Um, you know, that means a various number of things, right? That doesn't mean like, you know, every single drug is available, like, you know, in a liquor store and you can go in and be like, all right, I'm going to take all these things. Right. Um, 
it's just recognizing one that personal possession needs to be completely legalized uh mm-hmm. and that we need to look into you know what drugs people want right and sort of what drugs we feel that we can supply um and and also you know that also means things for like safe supply right like a really big you know big movement in harm reduction right is is the idea of, of a safe supply right and that's sort of like particularly with opioids if people you know, people are provided um, the drug of their the drug that they want, right? Like they're provided heroin um, instead of having to go find it on the street somewhere, right? And sort of being provided that means that hey, they don't have to worry about finding it. They don't have to worry about like what are they going to do if they don't find it or like get money for it. And so with that out of the way, they can begin focusing on other things, right? Finding housing or a, or a better job or you know spending time with family, right? I mean, like there are all these. So there's sort of different ways to do it. Um, I think that the legalization of all drugs just means what's really important too is obviously social justice, right? Like when we legalize mm-hmm. drugs, it needs to go back into the communities that have been disproportionately harmed by the war on drugs. Um, but then also we need to take drugs out of the shadows. Like we need to find, and I think this is going to be even longer than, you know, legalization efforts probably. I mean, just the idea of having to take drugs and be like, look, it's, there's nothing to judge, right? Like, so I, I hope to truly live in a world where, you know, someone's drug of preference is caffeine, right? So in the morning, right, where they're like, they can be cranky and have before they have their two cups of coffee. Um, and another person, right, um, instead is like, you know what, <clears throat> I don't do this, but I'm going to, I take one, you know, I use some meth in the morning, right? I use one head of crystal meth mm-hmm. to help me through my day. Like, um, I know people who have done that, right? And it's really helped them. Um, and, I, and I think that both, neither should be stigmatized more than the other. Um, so it's really about sort of stripping away the criminal justice entirely from substances uh, and providing actual education and, you know, being honest with each other about our substance use. Because um, a lot of people use drugs, they're just not wanting to talk about it. So I guess the question that I'm sure a lot of people ask you who are not familiar with with your line of work um, would immediately go to like the hardest, quote unquote, hardest drugs mm-hmm. Uh, like heroin or meth or I mean actually I don't I really don't know anything about meth um but I mean well that's the thing like right it's like well like so like so I I just want to like ask like like this idea of harder drugs right like where does this come from right like I it's sort of this idea of like worse or better drugs right it's all sort of it's it's sort of we have to understand that everything we think about dangerous drugs like dangers of drugs and, and what's worse or better whatever is all built on lies right they're all built on prohibition and all built on uh you know really trying to scare us into you know believing something about an inanimate object right that is like uncontrollable or that people are going to be able to you know that's going to be madness in the streets if people have access to the medication or drugs that they need so i guess my question would be then well i'm I'm sure heroin gets brought up a lot because so many people die Mm -hmm. from from overdosing mm-hmm. or of course having like heroin that's laced with something else. Yeah. But the opioid overdose problem is, you know, at this point, well, very well documented. So like, where would you like to see particularly like opioid use go? Yeah. So uh, it's sort of, it goes back a little bit, right. To a couple of things we already touched about, but like <clears throat> well, one, right. So legalizing personal possession for sure. Right. Um, I think that we need to um, provide, once again, like supervised injection sites, right? Like have places where people can use safely. Um, 
we need to expand, you know, naloxone and Narcan training. So like everyone is, you know, it takes two seconds to learn how to use it, right? It reverses an overdose and saves lives. Um, you know, and, and once again, right, is that, and this is sort of a point that I, I want to make sure to drive home to people because it, it really, this is something that we all can just be doing constantly, right? Even if like before fight it, like while fighting on for policy or, or changing all this stuff is that if we, so like heroin, right? Like if someone's using heroin, I want them to feel comfortable either calling me and let me know that they're using it, right? Or if I can watch them, check in on them, whatever, right? Is that because we can do whatever we want with drugs. Like we, we could legalize everything and have the best implementation of, you know, harm reduction and legalization process and all this stuff. But if people feel, if people still feel ashamed and stigmatized about their use, right, it's not going to matter. Um, if they're still feeling like they need to use alone or that they can't call for help, right, um, it, it's all sort of for naught. Um, so, so I think that all of these policies are really important to, to, to give, including the safe supplies I mentioned before, but also just like this new sort of understanding about that people use drugs, like nice people, good people use drugs, right? Um, drugs of all kinds. Um, and that we need to provide whatever avenue we can, right? Whatever avenue we, we discover is the, is the best thing for them um, to provide that, right? And, and to be honest, I don't know this. I don't know the answers, right? I mean, like I, I have my guesses from what, um, you know, I've experienced and sort of worked with and, you know, know about sort of drugs and the policy itself. But this is all, to be honest, mostly guesswork because the United States and, and many places, well, because of the United States, but refuse to do anything else except have prohibition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that we need to work towards, right? And, and something where we maybe we take it one step at a time, but we do need to, there are, people are dying, right? I mean, heroin's killing people. Yeah. So there needs to be like, okay, like if you don't want to legalize it, sure. But like, we have to then take immediate steps to make sure that people are able to use safely. Right. And I think that so much of addressing the opioid crisis and addressing, you know, drugs in the United States writ large will have to do with untangling the personal responsibility rhetoric that kind of infects so much of our lives and it's like obviously it's inherently conservative but Mm -hmm. again it's like treating the symptom instead of the disease which is like the fact that a lot of people as you said are just you know kind of using drugs to make themselves just that an iota more comfortable in their everyday lives um i mean you'll talk about it you know quite a bit in this it's it's a leftist you know sort of idea right but like working 40 hours a week at a really, you know, a job you feel is like a dead end job, like it's physical labor, it's exhausting, you know, you're not paid enough. I mean, you know, we've, we've normalized, right. Sort of kicking back with a six pack every night or whatever. Right. But if your drug of choice is an alcohol, right. All of a sudden that's a terrible thing. Right. And, and I will say mm-hmm. if someone's working that hard and, and doing that labor that I know I personally would, I know I would struggle with, right. That sounds, that's exhausting. Um, that, that they should, you know, that, that it's like, why, why are we blaming them? Right. For, for taking some comfort in something. Right. And, and it's almost like, right. I mean, it sort of goes back to, as you said, sort of the systematic, this systemic problems, right. Where it's like, oh, well, this person we policy wise, right. It's like this person is in this beautiful, they're set up with all these privileges and all these opportunities. 
and they use, and it's not a problem, but we throw this person almost in a burning building and because they're using a drug to help it. So like, you know, it doesn't hurt when they walk across the floor. It's like, oh, well, they you know, they have a problem. Yeah. I mean, well, it, a lot of the things that I've seen about um, the response to the opioid epidemic uh, is that there are a lot of communities that don't even want to pay for Narcan to be used by emts and things like that because they just i mean again it's like the quote-unquote personal responsibility rhetoric they think that these people are not worth saving and i think that that's like yeah i mean it's we had um you know as you know uh i grew up in maine and uh, one of maine's great shames was uh governor lepage who fortunately is not there anymore but you know he Uh, was an oh god absolutely uh (laughs) he was a he was a he was not great. <laughs> um, he was he was like particularly notorious. He was yeah, um, like he like Maine is not known for much besides lobster, and like everyone sort of knew of how bad LePage was. Like he was sort of always this name that came up. New England loves their Republican governors for whatever reason, <laughs> yeah. and uh, we don't know why. And Governor LePage really oh my was in a league of his own, but he, I think, very he. As I recall, he really had a thing about like food stamps and oh, he like he was like caught, it was something where like he was caught kicking like a ton of people off food stamps by like creating fake accounts and names, right? He yeah, he like was caught stealing like the union like painting and the you know, and he he left like a message on a state senator's voicemail using like very homophobic remarks. Um, he but anyway right it's like he one of those comments he was making like if, if i remember correctly is like yeah essentially just being like exactly what you're saying right this total rejection of like why even bother saving them right it's their problem it's their choice to use drug you know it's their choice for it's their fault for you know experiencing an overdose blah 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 um and really and it's just like the fact that you can be like okay this is a human life right and however much narcan takes to produce which i don't think it's that much right um it's, it's pretty cheap yeah like i mean in the, i once i don't know the exact numbers but in new york you can get it for free a ton of places right like it's not like yeah these organizations are, are new york you know the health department itself has like a limited amount like it's 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 very possible to give out and so however much that is but like so you're saying that's how much a human life is worth um it's just mm-hmm. so it's such a like you truly can't see people who use drugs as human beings like that's the only explanation that that really for me tracks of understanding how people can respond the way they do um to 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 other people one of the inherent paradoxes i think in the way that american rhetoric is espoused is that like america loves a redemption story but it classifies so many people as irredeemable Mm. and like you see this with you know we've talked a lot about like the prison industrial complex and everything like that part of the reason why the recidivism rate is so high is because there are like because essentially america has decided that felons are irredeemable and even even after you serve you've served your time um a lot of times um as we know in there are still some states where you have a lifetime ban on voting Mm -hmm. you can't uh live in public housing you Mm -hmm. can't get 
a job. Like, yeah, I mean, it's 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 the actual. I like tweet about this like that, but like it's the actual cancel culture. Like, it's like yeah. you know, it, it's literally like we're out here being like, oh, people are complaining about cancel culture. It's like they made a joke and sexually assaulted a teenager, and we're canceling them. How dare we? Meanwhile, it's like this person got was over police in a community was targeted by law enforcement for possessing personal amounts of a drug were thrown in prison and now can has absolutely no ability to find services because it, it because everything is is now stripped from them like i mean it's just so mm. yeah i mean it, it's so odd you know and it, it's also like it sort of ties in right with this um which is why i really you know language with substance use is so important right we're sort of like the term addict right is like the reason that it's so it can cause such problems and, and be so harmful is that like it's sort of like it's a label that someone has forever right it's sort of like this this understanding or this belief that's like oh once an addict always an addict it doesn't matter how far you've come or what you do or if you do or don't use drugs right like you're always this person that will never be able to trust or never be able to really you know believe or whatever right um and it's just like it's really for whatever reason as you said yeah like it's once someone is like attached to drug use like it's like we we've developed the system that makes it impossible for them to separate and be like look i'm an actual human being i'm not i'm just i'm not what this drug is or i'm not like i'm mm-hmm. not like what you're out to make me as which again is like you know we don't extend the same harshness to something like alcohol like yeah. we there is much there is a much wider understanding and there's, I think there's like a lot more sympathy for people who, you know, struggle with alcohol mm. dependency. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty, yeah, it definitely is like, right. I mean, an alcohol is one of the most, you know, I would say dangerous drugs. Right. I mean, sure. we're talking even like, say, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's difficult to sort of like compare drugs, right? But even say drug like heroin, right? Where there's this risk of, you know, overdose, right? And this risk of it's personal harm, right? It's like you, you like the user themselves has a, has a risk, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. alcohol, you know, you have a risk to all these other people, right? I mean, it gets people, you know, drunk driving kills people. You have people getting in fights and bars all the time. Like it agitates others. I mean, it's, it's often a factor in, you know, assault, like it's, it's sort of all these things that, and so it's so weird that we have this like total, you know, this sort of cognitive dissonance with like alcohol and be like, oh, well, you know, it's totally okay for us to like go get absolutely blitzed on for, you know, during, uh, unlimited mimosa hour. Uh, but, uh, (laughs) you know, we can't, but like, you know, someone using, I don't know, you know, whatever, right? Like any other drug, any other sort of illicit drug is like, oh, like I can't believe that they're using that. Yeah. Although, you know, and I'm not that I'm knocking getting blitzed at, uh, you know, the bottomless mimosas once in a while, you know, you know, in, the in only, moderation. The only reason, in moderation, right. the only reason why I'll knock it is that do it at home because <laughs> it's more economical. Yes. Uh, yes. They're really scamming you at, they really, at bars and they restaurants. They really are. They really Brunch are. is a scam. Wow, that I, is a bold. It's a bold thing. I mean, it is, but it's also sorry, a scam. I love. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I'm all. <laughs> I'm all about the brunch. 
I, I do mess brunch up. Brunch is is so many different kinds of toast. Uh, <laughs> it's just different variations of toast. That's what they're serving. That's what they're charging pretty, you for. I sound much. like a I sound like a boomer right now, and I'm really sorry. But um, and we do have to wrap yeah, up. Yeah, of course. But this has been this has been such an edifying conversation for me. Um, again, as an aspiring drug user, <laughs> um, and I learned so much from you every time I talk to you, and uh, you're a gift and a joy. Oh, so my gosh. thank it you so warms much, my heart. Uh Thank you. It feels as if my, you know, uh, brain was just uh, flooded with serotonin. Uh, so thank okay. you for that. You know, you really we love you know, it. I love it. I love it. Before we yeah. go, where can folks find you, and what resources would you recommend people check oh, out? Oh, fantastic! Um, so you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I guess you could find me on Facebook and Instagram too. I don't do much on those though. Um. But, uh, but others, so other, I, I tweet, no, definitely, I definitely focus on the Twitter for sure. Um, you know, for resources, I would say off the top of my head, if you're interested in, um, sort of like learning more to sort of like basic facts, um, about drugs and sort of about their use, um, you know, dance safe, uh, is definitely fantastic. They have a great website, like I was talking before to get drug tests, uh, fentanyl test strips as well. Um, you know, if you are a, uh, sort of if you're looking at other organizations, right? I mean, there is Harm Reduction Coalition um, here in New York, there's Drug Policy Alliance, right? Which focuses more on like the macro, um, you know, drug policy. But um, yeah, I would say for personal use, definitely go with the Dan Safe option. And uh, and yeah, and if you're interested in, um, if you feel comfortable uh, and you're in your interest in sort of either wanting to chat about your substance use or get referrals to maybe a harm reduction program here in New York, um, definitely feel free to DM me. Um, or, you know, I guess you could set something up for anonymously or something like that. I'm more than happy to help refer people to, yeah, where they want to get the, where they want to sort of either seek counseling or just for, you know, just to make sure that their drug use stays uh, unproblematic or unharmful. And we love things that are unproblematic. Uh, love um, unpro- unproblematic queens and kings over here. <laughs> Garrett, thank you so thank much. You so much. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show, Garrett. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is mine.